And now, wherever you are, if you're able, would you please stand for a reading of God's word. Tonight, Mark will be preaching from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. I'll begin reading with verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Father, as we open your holy word now, we thank you for this means of grace. We thank you that it's sufficient, that your powerful work, Holy Spirit, even tonight, will illuminate our hearts and our minds with the very words of these texts, which Jesus proclaimed. Bless us now, Lord, tend to our souls, feed us. You promised us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We ask all this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Well, John 15 is one of my favorite passages It's the last of the seven I am statements that Jesus proclaims. And it speaks to us so deeply about the meaning of our life. During this 
pandemic where we as a people, as a city, as a country, as a world, so many significant questions are being asked. Moments like this cause the things that are most important to rise to the top. What is essential? What matters most? What are we really all about? What is the purpose? These questions are being asked by business owners, by schools, certainly by, by teachers, by churches, by families. These all-important questions come to the top, and there we seek to find answers. Thankfully for us, in God's Word, those questions have been answered, and resources that date back centuries show us where men and women wrestled with those questions and the answers they gave. For us, our children in this church at a very young age learned to ask the question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer that they memorize is this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. John 15 is one of the great passages that acts as a proof text to that statement from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one. Jesus tells us the goal, and the goal is that we would bear much fruit, so bringing the Father glory. But he does more than that. He tells us the, the way in which that will happen. Not a way, not one of many ways, but the one who has already said, I am the way, tells us again that there's only one way to bear fruit and only one way to bring God glory. And that is through an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, an abiding relationship where we as his people experience the union of Christ because of our saving faith in Christ and in Christ alone. We rest and receive Jesus alone for salvation. As we look at this passage this evening, I want to draw our attention first to the proclamation that Christ made. I then want to look at the pruning that he describes that the Father does as the vine dresser. And then I want to look at the proof that he promises will be there as we, his people, magnify his glory by the fruit that he bears in our lives. First, let's talk about the proclamation that Jesus has made. Jesus says many things in this text, proclaims many things in this text. The first starts with an identity, and the identity is identifying who he is, who the Father is, who we who are in Christ are, as well as those who are not in Christ. First, the identity is of himself. He says, I am the true vine. Again, finishing these seven I am statements, declaring himself to be God. Here he says, I am the true vine. The image of vine had been used for the people of Israel since really the beginning. But now Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. That word true could also mean real. In other words, there's no fault in him. There's nothing lacking. He is the true and real vine. Then he describes his father in the next phrase and says, my father is the vine dresser. And then he describes us, those who are in Christ as being branches united with Jesus, one with Jesus. And then he also describes those who are not of Christ, being those who are cast aside. Along with the identity that Jesus proclaims that I am the one, that I am the true vine, that the Father's the vine dresser, that we are the branches. Along with that identity, he also proclaims the plan, 
the way in which those who are in Christ will bear fruit. He says in verse 4, abide in me, which means to remain or to abode, to make one's house with. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. The plan for us to bear fruit simply is this. We can only bear fruit if we're abiding in Christ. We can only bear fruit if we're united with Christ. He then proclaims that those who are not abiding are not possibly able to bear fruit. He says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So as Jesus speaks about what it means to bring God glory, the Father glory by bearing much fruit, he describes that he's the vine, we are the branches. He describes that apart from him, apart from that union with Christ, none of us can bear any fruit that would bring God glory. He then moves from this place of proclaiming the truth about who he is, who the Father is, who we are in him, and who are those who are not in him, who are cast away, to speak about pruning. He calls the Father the vine dresser. The vine dresser is a gardener who's skilled, who knows how to cut back and cut, cut off those branches that are not bearing fruit. Right now, as you look around uh, your house and the yards, perhaps you're walking through the streets or riding a bike, hopefully maintaining appropriate distance, you'll see a lot of limbs in the front of people's yards where they're waiting for somebody to come and collect those which have been pruned, whether the homeowner pruned them himself or someone else pruned them for them. That act of pruning is taking place right now. It is a picture of what God, the Father, the vine dresser, is continually doing for his people, his church. It's often during trials, trials like we're enduring now because of suffering, that we experience profound pruning. Pruning often happens during our trials because suffering is a prime time for the revelation of idols in our hearts. Dave Furman wrote that in an article for the Gospel Coalition. I want to give you several, several things to think about with pruning for a few minutes. First is this, that when the vine dresser seeks to prune us, it's always purposeful. Because God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because God loves us, he is going to be purposeful in pruning. The purposeful pruning is meant to do one thing, and that is to bear much fruit in our life for the purpose of bringing the Father glory. Again, Jesus said, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Along with being purposeful, our pruning is very personal. Each branch is an individual soul. Each branch is an individual soul saved by God's grace. Each branch is one who has rested and received Jesus alone for salvation, and they're united with Christ. In fact, Jesus says near the end of this text in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Each person who is in Christ is an individual soul, an individual worshiper of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Certainly we as his body in which he is the head are a collection, but this pruning is very personal. Ways in which you need to be pruned will be different than someone else. 
Ways in which I need to be pruned might not be the same as yours. But what is in common is that God's love for us puts him in this posture of pruning us that we might bear much fruit. It's purposeful, it's personal, and it's also precise. Not everyone right now who's pruning trees or rose bushes or other aspects of their garden know what they're doing. Not everyone holding a pair of loppers or shears is equally skilled. But with God, who is omniscient, all-knowing, every cut that he makes is precise. He knows exactly what needs to be cut from our life. He knows which branches need to be cut back. He knows which branches need to be trimmed that they might bear more fruit. And his cuts are always precise. He is never lacking knowledge. He's never lacking skill. But each time he cuts, that cut is painful. Pruning is painful. When you think about pruning from the frame of discipline, we go to the book of Hebrews. And there in chapter 12, the author, the preacher of this small church, which we've been studying for many months, says this, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? He then goes on to say in verse 11 of chapter 12, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And that's true. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline is painful and pruning is painful. When the Lord in his love for us and his deep concern for his own glory seeks to prune us, it's going to hurt. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, part of the Chronicles of Narnia, he reveals to us a character named Eustace who is a dragon. And this dragon is becoming who he was made to be. Eustace is recording this statement to Edmund about his encounter with Aslan the lion as it relates to the lion essentially pruning him. Eustace says, I looked up and saw the very last thing I expected, a huge lion coming slowly toward me. The lion said, you will have to let me undress you. There he's referring the fact that Aslan had to remove his hard and rough scaly surface. Eustace continues, I was afraid of his claws. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he had began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. Pruning hurts. When God seeks to prune us, it's painful. It's painful because the things that he's pruning from us are often things deeply connected to our, our hearts in a way that's not appropriate. Our biggest problem right now, like it is always, is not what's outside of us, but it's what is inside our own hearts. It's the sin that continues to dwell there as idols grab hold and seek to find a place of security in our life where we find security in them. Eustace describes that pain of uh, his scales being pulled off by the claw of Aslan, which represents God. 
He finishes this section by saying, the only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, though the pruning is painful, when we are being undressed by God, when the garments that we have made for ourselves, just like Adam and Eve did in the original sin, when the Lord comes and undresses us and reveals those idols of the heart, it hurts. But there's so much grace that he's offering and the promise of bearing much fruit. Late September this last fall, a couple came into my office. They wanted to share with me uh, a hidden sin. They were being undressed by God. The husband for a long time in their marriage had hidden their finances from his wife. Where she thought they were in terms of income and savings was quite different from where he knew they were in regards to profound debt. Well, finally, it was discovered. He was undressed. He was no longer able to hide the fact that they were in deep, severe financial trouble. And so the claw of God began to peel away idols in his life and idols in her life. It wasn't just the idol of money, but it was the idol of being found out, of being ashamed, of having to tell people we can no longer do that, to have to tell their children that real sacrifices were going to have to be made. As they sat in my office, as he confessed and repented, as we cried together and sought the Lord's face together, it was very, very painful. Pruning always is. But what God does in the midst of that pain is he reminds us that the pruning is purposeful, that it is individual, it is deeply personal, but his cuts are precise. They're exactly what we need. They are painful. Yet there's one more thing. He is present. The very nature of a vine dresser has him moving up next to the vine, holding that branch or that portion that needs trimmed and cut back that it might bear more fruit. Right now, we are going through a profound pruning. Those who are in Christ are being challenged to think about our own lives. What really is essential? What matters most? We need to be careful of the temptation to simply look at the rest of the world and how the world needs to repent and focus in with the power of the Holy Spirit on our own lives even tonight. How is the Lord seeking to prune us in this very moment? How is the Lord seeking to prune you, my dear friend, tonight? What is the Holy Spirit showing you that is an idol deep in your heart? What is the Holy Spirit showing you that you pursue that is never going to meet the satisfaction that you have already in Jesus? It might not be finances. It very well could be. But it might be another form of idolatry. There may be something else going on in your life that has caused you to dress yourself up, to hide that sin from God and others. God loves you and he is the vine dresser faithful to expose these things to us. It could be a hidden sin of lust. It could be the fear of man. It could be this addiction to the approval of man. It could be focusing so much time and energy and resources on appearance. It could be so many things that the enemy has put before us that he says, 
put your trust here. Our faithful God has brought us to a place. He has our attention. Let's not waste this moment, but let's go before the Lord and say, show me, Holy Spirit, where the Father wants to prune me. And when you feel that precise cut, and that cut is painful, remember he's present. Remember that this cut is purposeful. Remember that the ultimate purpose is to bring you to a place of bearing much more fruit so that God, the one who is in control, who made you, who has called you his own, will be greatly glorified. Finally, we move to what happens when we're in Christ, to what happens when the vine dresser is faithful to prune us to make those precise cuts. And that is proof. Jesus says again, by this, in verse eight, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If anybody ever wonders whether or not they're a Christian or whether or not they're in Christ, the truth is that all who are truly in Christ, union with Christ, all who rest and receive Jesus alone for salvation, their lives will bear fruit. Their lives will bear fruit that brings God glory. There is proof that exists. Even tonight in the hunger to be with God's people, even tonight a hunger for the Lord's table and missing it, that is a sign of fruit. The desire to sing to God, to lift your voice, to praise him, to obey his commands, that is all fruit. The concern about your own soul when you hear the word read, the reflection upon whether or not I'm living in a way that pleases God or not, is all a sign of God's faithfulness to you. It's bearing fruit. When we think of the fruit that he's referencing here, we might go to Galatians 5 where Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit. We might also think about the life in Christ being so radiant that others want to know the truth and they ask us what's different about us and we have the privilege of telling them it's Jesus. And we watch as others come to know Christ as their Savior. That's also fruit multiplying. But in this text, Jesus clearly mentions two fruits that we must pay attention to. The first is joy, also found in Galatians 5 as one of the fruits of the Spirit. Verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Once again, what is essential? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What that means is that the chief end of man in any aspect of our life is to bring him glory and enjoy him forever. The chief end of walking through this pandemic is to bring God glory and enjoy him forever. The chief end of our work, the chief end of our relationships, the chief end of how we deal with conflict, the chief end of how we arrange our time, the chief end with how we use the resources God's given us, the chief end of how we use the experiences God's given us, the chief end for all of it always is to bring God glory and enjoy him forever. Even in the midst of trials, we as his children could say, we still have joy. It doesn't mean we neglect lamenting the circumstances. 
It doesn't mean we lament and pray against illness and disease. It doesn't mean that we call things good that aren't good. But it does mean that even in the midst of that, we bring God glory in how we respond. We bring God glory by having his joy in us. And again, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy, his perfect joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The second fruit that he clearly mentions here is love. In many ways, John 13 is being expounded here by Jesus. There in John 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, here this fruit is present. In verse nine, Jesus says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. In other words, remain in his love. Make his love your home. This is a perfect love. He then moves on in verse 10 and says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. What Jesus is saying is that when we are obedient to his commands, obedient to his words, it is an outward sign of this union with Christ. It is an outward sign of our love to God that we obey his word. And when we fall short, as we have discussed tonight, we're quick to confess and repent. He continues to talk about this fruit of love in verse 12, where he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Again, referencing back to John 13. And then he says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He then says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus Christ modeled the abiding relationship with his father. Throughout his life, he perfectly abided in that union with his father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the vine, modeled perfectly the relationship that he's calling us to have with himself. But in order for that to happen, Christ himself was pruned on the cross. He was not pruned because of some sin that he had ever committed, but he was pruned because he became sin for us. Every sin ever committed by his people, he was suffering for. Every sin for those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus died for. There on the cross, our dear Savior experienced that purposeful act of the Father, that personal act of God the Father sending his own Son, that precise cutting of this man, his own begotten Son, that we who would trust in him would have a relationship a union with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. Jesus experienced pain that is beyond comprehension. Promised as the Messiah that would come in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden, now in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before the crucifixion, Jesus is there abiding in his Father. As he's abiding in his Father, he anticipates what's coming and says to the Father, Take this cup from me. Take this cup from me, if you are willing. Yet not 
my will be done, but yours. And it was the Father's will, the word of God says, to crush him. That cut, that crushing, that we who trust in Christ have our sins forgiven for all eternity. And so Jesus there on that tree, hang, dying because of all of my sins and all of yours. Every evil thought, every bitter deed, every idol that we've trusted in, every idol that we've worshiped, Christ Jesus took all of them on. The wrath of his father, the perfect wrath poured out. As Jesus finished his last words on the cross, he said, it is finished. And he died, breathing his last. We know that Jesus was placed in a tomb after he died. And there is the picture of the great promise, the harvest of the empty grave, that this God, the true vine, is going to be raised from the dead. And as he is, he gives us the hope for that harvest, that all who trust in him will have union with him. And because of that union, we'll have a relationship with God that bears fruit for his glory for all eternity.